being honest about all of this, bringing it to the surface, being vulnerable about it, talking about it with each other, that's the antidote for, for, for shame. This is how we work it out and make something beautiful out of it. Just a quick note before this episode, and then I will do a celebration from one of our clients. We talk about pornography on this episode, and I want to just name explicitly up front that pornography is complex and it's complicated, and there's a lot of factors that go into it. And I want to make sure that no one feels judged with respect to how we talk about porn in this episode. And I also just wanted to name that Jason and I have an episode explicitly about porn. So if you've been, if you've struggled with porn or you've struggled with maybe porn addiction or just are more curious about hearing our take on that, I will drop the episode number for that in the show notes of this episode if you want to take a listen to that episode. So yeah, I just wanted to say that we talk about porn on this episode and it might be slightly triggering for some of you. And I just want to make it known that if you are turned on by porn, that's completely normal and healthy. It's not that we're saying that that's not true. It's just we're we're providing a little bit more context for it, which you'll see during the episode. So wanted to say that. And then wanted to share a win from one of our clients. This is... Um, I think this is a cool win. Okay. So he says, um, a single guy recently got back into dating and I'd been dating a woman for two to three months. She made it clear from the first date that she just got out of a long-term relationship and wasn't necessarily looking to immediately get caught up in something serious. After two or three months, I sensed that we were getting closer. So I asked her how she was liking being single and about her dating experience in general. She shared about how it was a breath of fresh air to be single and independent after four years in a serious relationship and described a few things about me that distinguished me from other guys she'd been on dates with, which felt like really great compliments in disguise. I reciprocated and told her a few things I enjoyed about her. From there, I told her that I could relate to the feeling of not having obligations or feeling relationship pressure. I told her that I've enjoyed getting to know her and that the casual, no string sort of relationship we have is working at this point in time, and I'd like to keep going with it. I also let her know that at some point I may be looking for something more serious, and if I start to feel this way, I'll be honest with her about it. In the past, these types of conversations were really hard for me. I generally just freeze up when any sort of emotional or intimate conversation like this came up and would go into a major avoidance state. After I smoothly led this conversation with this woman, it felt great. It went so well and I felt very honest and like I got all kinds of information that I was desiring from her. Looking back, I think I've had some irrational sort of fear about being honest or vulnerable and having these kinds of conversations with women, but it was way easier than I thought, and I feel even closer to her because of it. A few key points. One, I didn't really launch right into the deeper what are we doing stuff. I kind of worked into it by letting her talk about her dating experience, and from there, it opened up the conversation to talk about me and her. I never really forced the topic. It flowed. Number two, this was all very authentic. I wasn't telling her that I was okay with a casual relationship with the intent of keeping her around so that I can try to convert her into a girlfriend at some later date. I genuinely feel good about where it is in the current state, but realize that at some point I do want something serious, whether it is with her or not. End of message. I love this celebration because as all of you know, I'm a big fan of leading in relationship, bringing topics up, having honest conversations, and... Really, um, 
creating the space for those kinds of conversations to happen is something that a lot of us didn't learn in our families of origin, weren't trained on. And I really feel proud of this client for, for leading in this way and for driving. And I really love just that sense of possibility of like, wow, I guess I can talk about these things or I can lead these conversations. And, and, and it worked out and it was okay. And I learned something and she learned something and I just feel great about it. So I found that very inspiring. I hope you do too. And let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I'm really excited today to have Yuval with me. He is an artist of erotic love and helps people use their sexual expression to transform every aspect of their lives. So um, there's lots of things that we could talk about, but thank you for being here and sharing your wisdom with us. My pleasure. Nice to be here. So yeah, we're talking about um, sex and love and relationship and sexual expression and learning, how we learn about sex and what that means for the rest of our lives. And you have a really interesting background. I actually also used to work with um, Orthodox Jews when I was younger. Um, I don't know if you knew that I had that background, but I'm very interested in hearing more about kind of how you got to where you are as a sexuality educator and all of the work that you do. So can you walk us through a little bit of how you yourself learned about sex when you were young and then the journey that you went on around that as you kind of grew up? Yeah, sure. Um, the short answer is I didn't learn about sex when I was young. I even remember having a conversation with my uh, mother recently about it and she shared with me that, I mean, I, I was not born into a very uh, orthodox family. I was actually born to a super secular family, hippie parents, um, yeah, spiritually oriented, kind of psychedelics, the whole thing. And we turned um orthodox when i was around 10 and my mother told me that when they put me in the so i went from democratic school like the waldorf democratic school straight to the cheder which is like the boys only jewish um school and she told me that she asked the principal of that school what is their stance about talking with young boys as they, you know, in a few years, my son is going to go through puberty. How do you go about talking about it? And they say, and he said, we don't at all. And she also told me that she regrets not pressing more. She's still very Orthodox Jewish and the whole thing. Nevertheless, she realizes today that it's a very, very important topic to bring about. And there actually in the Jewish tradition, there is a lot to, to say about the topic and a very kind of sex positive, healthy approach to sexuality that is very much being missed um, from the culture, not because of Judaism, but because of uh, an array of other, you know, uh, cultural, societal decisions and, and nuances. So yeah, I grew up without any sex education at all. I even remember I was like going through puberty, 14, 15, and 
I don't know. I don't remember if I was taught that or I kind of knew because you just know that it's forbidden to masturbate. Um, not to mention that there were no girls around. So there was absolutely no stimulation or, or anything like that. But for anyone who remembers, <clears throat> when you go through puberty, if you don't masturbate, it's going to come out either way. Um, you're going to have wet dreams and it's going to come out. Why? Because it's a natural evolutionary process that is happening in your body. It's very healthy, very natural. But no one prepares you for that there. No one talks about it because it's such a shishu, taboo topic. And you know in your the back of your head that it's forbidden to masturbate. And like you, you're afraid. There's a lot of fear and shame around it. So I, I vividly remember uh, waking up in mornings with my bed wet after I had a, a wet dream. feeling incredible it was pleasurable but i felt incredibly ashamed and incredibly fearful and because there is no space to talk about these things you have nobody to talk about it so i would i did i kind of like um uh, improvised and i would run to the mikveh which is the jewish bathhouse which you go to purify yourself and i would run to the mikveh and then pray to god to forgive me um for for this experience and to please you know, stop it from happening. And yeah, that's kind of like my sex education and where I'm coming from. Um, thankfully, that uh, changed much later when I left uh, the Orthodox environment. I'm, I'm very much still um, honoring and connected in my heart to my roots and my, the Jewish tradition and a lot of the incredibly deep, sophisticated philosophical systems um, that come from this amazing tradition. Nevertheless, um, as far as it as they can go from the Orthodox community, um, I think it's incredibly misguided uh, right now in, in many, many, many ways. And so I went on my own journey. I was incredibly, um, I, I went to the army for three years, which is obligatory in Israel. And there I met a lot of people who were all already having experiences with women and having coming back from their vacation on Saturdays and coming back to the base and talking about all of their sexual experiences. And I felt very ashamed that I've never had any of these experiences. Um, I felt ashamed to say, to tell anybody that I'm a virgin, that I've never been with anybody because also I, what I realized, what I came to learn is that in the secular culture, being a virgin is a shameful thing as well. So on all, all the way on the other side, sexuality becomes something that is like a, a badge to, to, that you earn, that you like conquer, that you, that you get, you know? Um, and it says something about you and you value as a person in society. And I felt also the, the weight of that. Um, and it's only when I was like 21 that I met my first uh, girlfriend. She was also um, ex-Jewish Orthodox. And we had this beautiful, very exploratory relationship. We were both each other's first. And we're like, wow, this feels so incredible. We both know nothing about it. Let's explore it to the max, you know. Um, and from there, I, I, I got this like deep curiosity. I was like, this is... it." it I mean, I can look back and, and talk about it now. I didn't have these realizations then, but I remember feeling such tremendous pleasure around it that it was more than just a physical pleasure. It felt like 
it's not something that I do, but it's something that I am. It's like a natural human expression of my creativity, my aliveness. Um, and I wanted to know anything that I can about it. I wanted to explore and to to have the experiences and to to figure out what is it all about, you know? <clears throat> and yeah, that sends me on a very sent me on a very interesting, wild, bizarre um eclectic journey of exploration i traveled the world for over a decade i've got really deep into uh, different sex sex positive communities from the bdsm and king communities from the shibari japanese bondage communities around the world to participating and facilitating in different sex positive events it was it became a very big part of my life um, and it's only a few years ago around the pandemic that somehow in a beautiful turn of event, I started sharing this kind of stuff and it resonated with people and it suddenly became what it is now. I've never thought that this is what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's several interesting twists and turns in your story. I, I, th- I find it very interesting that your family became Orthodox when you were 10. And the culture shock of that, of going from a Waldorf school to a yeshiva, essentially, yeah. that's, I mean, that's a huge culture shock and shift. And and then I think, so a number of my clients have a religious background. Many of them are former LDS Mormon or other kinds of strict Christian and I really appreciated what you said about that deep sense of shame, right? The deep, the deep sense of shame and waking up and then running to the mikvah to quote, purify yourself. And that, um, that lasts. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about how you yourself kind of overcame that part of specifically around sexual shame, because I think for a lot of my clients, that's one of their number one challenges. Mm. And I'm sure that you work with lots of of folks where that's a huge challenge for them as well, um, specifically men. Um, because it's interesting the what you said about then you went into the army and sort of <laughs> became exposed to the more the patriarchy essentially, where it's like if you're a man, you're supposed to bang and it's supposed to be a badge of honor, like you said. And and in a way, you're supposed to be kind of cut off from your heart. Cause I bet, you know, those men weren't coming back talking about love or <laughs> talking about the deep connection they had with partners was more like conquest, like you said, and that mm. that side of things. And then the shame of oh, I'm not, I'm not having enough sex or I'm not having sex with the right people or, you know, that kind of sexual shame. So can you share a little bit about your own experience of, of overcoming that, that shame, particularly the deep religious shame, but also the other, the other kind? I think both the religious shame as well as many other unfoldings of working with shame um, later on, like you mentioned, in other aspects of the culture, it seems the shame is so rooted um, in, especially when it comes to sexuality, because it's so it's such an um, innocent expression of our aliveness, of our humanness. And 
I don't think that I've ever had like an overcoming of it, nor have I ever approached it in that way of like, I'm on a healing journey and now I'm going to fix my shame. It was more a natural unfolding in which I turned my shame into vulnerability. I realized that shame is not an enemy. It's not something that I need to run away from. When I feel shame, it's not a sign that I'm in danger, but rather that there is a calling for a more authentic expression. There is something in the hiding. Um, it's like this idea that the shadow aspects of ourselves control and be the way we behave until we bring them to light. And so, again, just like something I said before, I am only reflecting on, on that now, looking back, connecting the dots, and now working with other people and seeing, working with their, unpacking their shame, experiences with shame, I realized that really the opposite of shame is not pride, it's vulnerability, it's openness, it's um, the willingness to expose oneself. So a wonderful thing is, for example, if you're a man, you're experiencing shame around sexuality, is talking about it with other men. Now, a lot of uh, men's circles going around, a lot of like people that you can speak with, surround yourself with people, with a community, which is something that a lot of men, especially people in general, in our individualistic culture, but men especially are alienated from like this deep emotional intimacy with other human beings, people that you can share with what you're going through, your journey, what you're experiencing around sexuality. And more than anything, your intimate partners. You know, so if something is coming up and you're feeling that, share that. I, I became an oversharer of my human experience, an over-communicator of my human experience. Like this is, this is my feeling. This is my sense right now. This is what's alive for me. And here it is. And I think this is where sexuality becomes what it's meant to be is when we are coming together in this naked vulnerability and we are allowing each other to truly be touched without masks, without walls, without all of these, um, yeah, without all of these things that stop us from truly connecting with each other. And shame is just a reminder. It brings you there, you know? So when you notice it, it's not resisting it. It's not, you know, trying to suppress it. It's not trying to heal it or fix it or, or send it away. It's just, high and how can it be turned into beautiful vulnerability that brings you even deeper to a connection with yourself with your environment with people i think that's a, a beautiful point and it it highlights what you said about community and having safe people with whom to share because i think that that story of you waking up and running to the mikvah i think kind of highlights how you didn't feel safe sharing what was happening with the people in your in your life there wasn't yeah. anyone that you felt safe with to to expose yourself to be vulnerable with and that was probably a good choice at that time i don't know that the people in your household could have held you in that experience in a healthy safe way mm. so one of the things i really value about the work that I do, the work that you do, that the spaces that that can be created is bringing together safe people, bringing people together that do want to hold um, shame with love instead of 
you know, I, I, a lot of my clients have stories of sharing with the wrong people or unsafe people, and it's not a good experience. And if you have even one of those experiences, you're far less likely to share with the next person or whoever, whoever it is. So I appreciate that. Um, point that you're making about it's not about getting rid of shame it's not about making it disappear it's almost like revealing it and having it be held that helps it essentially move because a lot of it's just energy right it's stuck or kinked up kind of like energy that wants to be moved or be expressed or be witnessed or transform into something else to transform into something else so it can be fuel for transformation if it's shared and held with love mm-hmm. and in connection. And there's something really beautiful that I've witnessed in my groups, which I'm sure you've witnessed as well, where when one man shares really anything about sexual shame, whether that's you know getting caught by his parents when he was young or not being able to get it up, not being able to get an erection with his partner or, um, or just feeling ashamed of checking, checking a woman out, right. Or checking a person out, whatever orientation they are just like the shame of, Oh my God, people are seeing me be turned on or people are seeing me in my desire. And what does that mean? And am I safe? And just all the shame that goes along with being a sexual being, which which we all are, but we often try to hide. So thank you for speaking to that. Cause I think that's a really great point. Cause a lot of, a lot of my clients are like, how do I get over my sexual shame? Right. How do I overcome my sexual shame? How do I kind of get past this part? And what you're saying is you don't have to get past it. You just need to be able to be with it and share it in a vulnerable way. Um, so I'm curious if you have any kind of examples from your clients of sort of common common reasons, particularly the men that you work with, common sexual shame that they're showing up with and the kind of um, this act of revealing, what are the kinds of things that they're, that they're revealing? I think a lot of the things that you mentioned are quite common. Um, there is this not being able to be a good lover, to be a, a great lover or to satisfy your partner. Um, there's a lot of... Um, kind of childhood stuff um i've worked with men who've been uh, sexually assaulted um had all kinds of challenging two traumatic experiences relationally and carry some shame around them like who who am i as a man who am i as a lover if this is how i've been treated am i am i worthy of love is it you know am i worthy of being loved by a woman um i also work a lot with women and so there is a lot of that there as well in all kinds of ways. Um, this sense of worth, this sense of, am I worthy of love? Am I worthy of appreciation? Am I beautiful? Shame around the body, like certain parts of the body, the body in general. There's a lot of shame around <clears throat> sexual performance on both ends, on regardless of gender. Like, am I doing it right? Am I, do I sound right? Or do I look right? Do I orgasm right? Is it like, am I weird? Is it like, is it, is it supposed to be like that? And so on and so forth. It's so much, you know, basically shame is just an umbrella term for everything that is unconsciously under the surface, 
around our sexualities, all the, the shadowy aspects that we keep in the darkness. And I find it quite illuminating to, to what happens when you bring it to the surface. Um, you said, you said rightly so, like bring it to the surface in the, in the, in a moment that it, it feels good, in a moment that it feels safe. Um, bring it to the surface in a way that is emotionally mature and kind of in, intentional rather than blaming it on other people or bringing it in a way that is kind of feels like you're puking your, you're vomiting your inner stuff onto someone else and making it their problem in that moment, but bringing out in a in a as as an authentic expression of what is alive for you right now. Like I'm experiencing this. You don't have to label it as shame. You just share your experience. You know your past experiences, the journey that you've gone through. For a lot of men, for example, it's incredibly inspiring when they are comfortable admitting and holding themselves accountable for past, um, you know, mistakes and past uh, uh, behaviors that were out of alignment, that were hurting. I know I've hurt people in my life. I know I've behaved in ways that are out of alignment with my own heart and with um, the greater good of the, of the connection. And I know that I've had a very long process to do with my own conditioning of what, what is manhood, what a man should be, how, how sexuality should should be conducted what is the importance of deep honesty um and and so much you know and i think being honest about all of this bringing it to the surface being vulnerable about it talking about it with each other that's the antidote for 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 shame this is how we work it out and make something beautiful out of it yeah i appreciate that i've had several men particularly after during and after the Me Too movement, who reached out and said, I think this interaction maybe wasn't so good. <laughs> and I'm sorry about that. And I was really impressed with them for doing that. It felt like a huge risk on their part to say, I've been reflecting and I'm uncomfortable with how I showed up here with you. And I wanted to tell you that. And I really, um, I was really impressed with that. It felt like deep emotional maturity on their part to take that risk and to share that. And I'm wondering if you, if you have any sort of examples of that and what, what you shared or how, what it actually sounded like and what, um, what that did for you as a man, how it sort of, did it free up your energy or what happened for you after that? Because it feels like feels like a big part of the of the process and like you said kind of unlearning more patriarchal ways of thinking yeah patriarchal uh, colonialized uh, you know the the whole you know the systems that are in place that um, marginalize whole entire groups in a way that hurts everybody not just those groups um i think one of the main things that kind of are being missed in the um, conversation of systems oppression and privilege and 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 you know the, how how do we even approach repairing all of these ruptures in our society is the very core understanding of what it is to be a human at all i think that again going back to um religious indoctrination this especially abrahamic religions there's this core idea in which we have been created 
meaning there is a God who is something somewhere outside of oneself and has created. So humans have been created out of nothing, out of, you know, when in reality, uh, a deeper, let's say, a more, I want to say more advanced um, understanding of, of reality, which is true simply by observation it's self-evident you don't need to rely on the church on the, the book to tell you you can experience it yourself the truth is that you are it you have emerged out of life you've not been created you've emerged you are the ecosystems that you live within you are all of humanity you are god you are the entire thing it is all emanating out of you you have emanated out of that there is no separation whatsoever and I think that's a core understanding that we have to come back to as individuals and as a society to even start having a conversations of how do we repair the damage that we've done to each other? How do we repair the damage that we've done for women for so long, for other marginalized groups, for the ecosystems that we live in, to animals, to all of these um, systems around us, ecosystems around us? We have to touch that, you know, this understanding that we emerged from. And I think going back to your question and this uh, conversation about shame, because we experience ourselves as separated, not only do we are more inclined to hurt our environment, damage our environment, and to use things in our environment as means to an end to achieve something, out some ex arbitrary external validation outside of ourselves, but we are also far less likely to own up for our mistakes. Because you own up for your mistakes if you realize that, that it's okay to fuck up you know it's an incredibly human thing to fuck up you always do the best that you can with what you have and it's entirely okay it doesn't excuse any of your actions but keeping the shame around fucking up is just adding an other layers and layers and layers of the the, the same pain continue the same violence continuing to happen again and again because no one is talking about it you know, if your father is not owning up to his mistakes, no one is teaching the child that he can own up to his mistake. That there is growth to do and no one will teach his child and so on and so forth and it just continues. So again, this idea of, of, of speaking up, of, of owning up to your mistakes, I think in my own personal life, um, it was incredibly liberating to be like, yes, I, I definitely royally fucked up in the past you know i've behaved in ways that were hurtful that were out of alignment that were out of integrity they were um i crossed boundaries i was not the man that i would like to think that i am that i should be that i can be and it's only by owning up to that and being open to listen to feedback as well which is another thing you know you realize that the feedback that you get from your environment, especially from the women in your life, is a feedback that you are getting from your own heart, in a sense, you know, because you are the women in your life and they are you and we are each other. You know, there is no, there is nothing that really truly separates us. We are one beating ecosystems of, of, ner of nerves, you know. And so when you're getting this feedback, it's, it's, it's a celebration. It's, it's you embracing it. You're like, yeah, thank you, you know. I would not have noticed that that aspect of myself that I can now look at or examine, change, improve, grow from. Um, and I think it goes it goes both ways. It's also the ability of how do we give feedback? How do we keep people accountable? And you know, of course, there is a lot of nuance in that. And but I think this is the the gist of it.
Well, it's interesting because one of, you know, part of what we're talking about is how do we learn about sex and how do we learn about each other? And I have long wished that we have, I, and I would like to be part of a different kind of education around sexuality and relationships, including this conversation, right? How do you talk to someone about something that happened sexually and say, I think I might've crossed a boundary of yours last night. I'd like to talk about it and see how you're doing and, and have a discussion. We don't teach that yet. It's very, very rare. And we don't give people yet the language to actually say, to actually do this, right. To have these conversations or even just, I, you know, we're on a date. It's looking like it's going to go in a sexual direction and like, Hey, I'd love to talk to you about, about sex. Like what's on your heart around it. I'd love to share some things that are on my heart, just in case we go there, you know, I'm not putting pressure on you, but I'd love to hear just anything that's on your heart about it and share some things that are on mine. Yeah. That's a pretty simple script and something we could teach and just any and all conversations I think are better than none, (laughs) but we don't teach that. And even in, I think a lot of the sexuality education that I've, that I've seen or been around there isn't a lot of that of that part of how do we talk about it there's there's a lot of things about body parts or about orgasm or about you know technique but not necessarily the sort of personal part of for example i've worked with male clients who i've coached and when they are in a position where they're like it's really hard for me to get it up with a new partner sometimes it's hard for me to keep it up and because of that i'm so stressed out about going after a woman I'm interested in that I don't, meaning I don't know that I'm going to be able to please her sexually down the road. So what's the point of even asking her out now? And we've talked about, okay, well, maybe there's some things that you can share with her. You can ask her out, you can have a date, go on dates. And then at some point say, you know, if it's looking like it's going to get sexy or whatever, there's a few things I'd love for you to know. And I'd love to hear anything that you want to share about sex one of my things is I find you very attractive. I'm excited about sexy time. And sometimes my cock is a little shy and it takes him a little while, but I want you to know it's not about you. I find you very attractive. That's just something that happens for me. And you can see this light bulb go off in their, in their mind where they're like, oh my God, I'm allowed to say that? I'm allowed to share <laughs> things that are actually going on for me because we don't have that role modeled. And yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about education and about how we are learning about sex because so much of it is porn. So much of our sexual sexual education is pornography and that is damaging for a number of reasons. But one of them is I am a woman who watches porn, not that frequently, but enough to be able to say... I have never seen a conversation like that. I have never seen in pornography. I have never seen, I've never seen men in particular say, how's that pressure or check in with their partner or, you know, sexual communication feels non-existent in porn. And that is really sad to me because there's such an opportunity and it's so many millions and billions of people around the globe learning that way. So I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to that in terms of education, how we, how we're learning about sex, 
you know, the, the clients that you work with and, and the way that you work, how are people learning about sex right now? I mean, of course, uh, different people learn in different ways, but, um, just the other day I had this long conversation about porn, pornography and its role in our society, especially for men. I know for myself, I, I, I was lucky enough to, um, before I was even deeply involved or, or exposed to pornography um, my first partner and I um, were incredibly creative and incredibly playful and exploratory and very communicative with each other around sexuality um, and it was just my first experience it was already that that beautiful and, and open I feel very fortunate to have that but I think through my work I see how a lot of men are learning not just you, you spoke about like technically how to do certain things, not just that kind of stuff, learning from porn, which to anyone with more than two brain cells, it's clear just observing 99% of, of, of mainstream porn that it's not female pleasure oriented. It's completely and utterly performative. Um, women don't really orgasm there. Um, even the men find it very, very difficult to, to orgasm. And usually the orgasms are, are, are fake and, and need sometimes ejections of, of testosterone and, and other things into their uh, dicks and their body in order to even get it up. It's in, entirely performative. Like you said, there is no conversation leading to, to the, the interaction. There is no real intimacy. The, it's very genital oriented. It's entirely performative. The, the, the voices, the sounds, the dirty talk, the way they touch each other, it's totally off you know it's super um kind of male gaze oriented very genital oriented it's strange you know like really if you are still finding that it turns you on maybe it's a sign to kind of question your relationship with sexuality really because I, I i know that for me for many people for many men that i that i work with and speak with things used to turn me on in pornography don't anymore i look at it and i'm getting turned off i'm like oh that looks that looks uncomfortable that looks painful that looks bad i can i can see i can see that she's suffering you know i mean like i can see that he's not having a good time um and it's just ugh. i also even even like the the, um, the kinky uh, kind of bdsm -y, um let's say dirty talk stuff that they, they bring into it like um role plays and specific types of dirty talk and power dynamics they do it in a way that feels so performative and so it's just not how it looks like in reality you know it's not how humans have actually pleasurable sex with each other so i think when you realize that you realize that if that is the model if this is what where you're getting your information there is a lot of questioning and a lot of growth for you to do and and really maybe finding other ways to learn uh, for once realizing that that's just all bullshit and that every human being that you meet every woman that you meet is entirely different universe and your only job is not to think that you know something is what to ask to figure it out you know i have a lot of sexual experience and it's literally my work it's what i do for a living and I'm still dumbfounded with every new human being that I that I find or connect with or meet. Even par even my own partner that I'm with for a couple of years, I'm I'm, I'm trying and, and working on and, and growing into approaching every sexual 
situation as if this is the first time that it's happening because it is you know not not only every human being is different but every moment is different than the other moment we constantly change we constantly transform our neurological wiring our gene expression our nervous systems it's always expanding and changing and so your only want here is to get very curious very present very playful you know and the playful part is where a lot of the conversation starts like you mentioned communicate more i like to be an over communicator with time and we practice i got better at reading the subtleties of someone's body the subtleties of the mood of their heart and what kind of i have a I get a, an intuitive idea of what kind of sexual experience this particular mood and this particular moment is asking for it can be ravishing throwing against the wall dirty talk kind of vibe it can be very soft very gentle very it can be a quickie or, or a long extended like sensual experience whatever the moment is asking for and i'm playing with it but regardless the attitude is playfulness and it's asking how does that feel you know you mentioned men who find it hard to get it up i always tell men your cock and how it behaves is your compass you know i mean putting aside if you are over the age of 50 and you're heavily smoking and drinking and you have some uh, low particularly low testosterone levels or whatever something like that go check that out but the, the majority of cases people men are incredibly healthy and normal and they self-prescribe self-diagnose themselves with uh, erectile dysfunction which is absolutely nonsensical don't have erectile dysfunction your body is telling you something your body is telling you that it's either want to slow down go deeper be more present come back to this moment it tells you something you know um so listen instead of jumping into the performative um, kind of idea or the story attached to the experience of like oh what does it mean about me that my dick doesn't work leave the meaning and the stories aside go to the actual sensation in your body what is happening for me right now no one is expecting you to perform no one is expecting you to do it in any particular way it's entirely and incredibly normal to get soft from once in a while actually sometimes you can give give and receive more pleasure while your cock is a bit softer and you only discover these things if you're open and willing to play if you're not attached to any particular idea of how things should happen and what does it mean about you if you do it in a particular way and so on so talking about education i think it's a combination of deconditioning a lot of the what stops a lot of men from communicating or being honest about their intentions especially you mentioned the idea of like being on a date and um, i'm kind of touching the a, a lot of things that you mentioned trying to get as deep as i can with each of them you mentioned going on a date and before even getting into the bedroom noticing that things get hot and heavy and starting to have a conversation about sexuality i think what stops a lot of people and especially men of doing so is besides the pornographic stuff in which what you see is like people just take each other's clothes off and jump into boning which is never the case at least in 99% of cases um but beyond that i think it's the cultural deep seated condition that you still have this in some way behaviorally you still have this idea that you need to conquer 
that you need to manipulate the moment in in some way to get what you want. And the fear is that if I'm going to be totally and brutally honest with whatever it is that is alive for me, with my desires, I might not get what I want or what I think should happen. I'm not going to get my agenda. And I think a lot of most men don't think like that consciously and intentionally. Nobody wants to manipulate anybody, at least most people. But I think it's it's a deep conditioning. It's it's a it's a it's a place inside in which you are still in some way believe that there is an the best outcome that can happen here. There is an agenda that you need to have that you're going to be more worthy, more valuable, more loved if you're going to get to the you know to what you think you want to happen here to get to sex, let's say. And I think once you find that value in yourself you realize that there is nothing and no one outside of yourself that can love you more than you can love yourself that can give you more value than your inherent value by being an emergent phenomena out of the ecosystem that's it you're alive you're as valuable as you'll ever be there's nothing that you can do no one that you can date no amount of sex that you can do no amount of money that you can have that will give you more of that love once you realize that you have no agenda anymore. You just meet people because it's a genuine, innocent desire for meeting. And sometimes you meet people and it's a mutual fuck yes. And you share what's alive for you. They share what's alive for you. You share your desires and boundaries. You share your heart and your mood. And it's like a fuck yes. And it's wow. And sometimes it's like, eh. and then you move on gracefully, you know, because nothing, you, you, you were not expecting anything. There was no agenda on the table. It was just a playful, innocent curiosity. And I think that's something also that touches the same point. It's not just the deconditioning of pornography. It's also the even deeper deconditioning of, of what it even means to connect with other people. Am I using my intimate sexual connections as means to an end to get something that I think I, I, I should have? Or am I just doing that as a playful, loving, innocent expression of my curiosity and my desires and my aliveness? Yeah, that's a that's a great point about what the motivation is and who I think that I am or who I think I should be. Because I know I've spoken with a lot of men who just don't have training. They don't know how to talk about sex or they don't know how to connect around it. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of silence, right? They don't, they literally don't know how they would even talk to a woman about it. And 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 they feel the pressure of. I should know how to do it, right? I should be a man who knows how to fill in the blank, give her an orgasm or whatever it is. So it's so if I if I ask, right? If I if I if I get some guidance from her, does that mean that I'm bad at this? You know, yeah. to your point. Like there's I think whether it's conscious or unconscious, there's a feeling of um yeah, kind of what you were saying of like I should be strong or I should know what what's I should know everything already and if I expose the fact that I don't then somehow that means something about me that will be unattractive to her rather than you know I have a course you know on sex for men who have sex with women called please her in bed and one of the things I talk about is how to ask winning questions and when I say winning I mean questions that give you guidance so how's that pressure is a guidance question. You're going to get something back versus is that good? That's not a guidance question. And there's a lot of pressure for a partner to say yes, 
there's, it's really hard for her mm. to say no. If you say, yeah. is that good? And she says, yes, you're not getting, you're not really getting a lot of information, especially if it's a newer partner versus how's that pressure or even, you know, the questions around what are some things that turn you on? What are some things that you like, right? Getting some guidance from that person during, or I'm a big fan of the sexual debrief right after like, what, what did you really like? Was there anything that you would want adjusted next time? Th- this is the kind of sexual communication that I'm passionate about and want to see more of in the world is the personal, how's this going? What are you wanting? You know, just what does it actually sound like? And that feels really missing to me. So one of the other points I did want to touch on was that you made a good point in some of your material about the sexual education that is out there tends to fall in certain categories. One of them is Tantra and another one is BDSM. And I'm curious if you can speak a little bit to the kind of um, sort of strengths and weaknesses, I guess, of each of those. Um, Because you know, a lot of my clients have explored some of those areas and there are limitations to both of those worlds. There are huge strengths and beautiful things to be found. And also sometimes they also don't hit what I'm talking about, which is sort of personal sexual communication and how to actually make that happen in the real world. So can you share a little bit about your own experiences in those two categories and what you've seen in in your clients? Yeah, sure. First, though, I'm going to make it uh, very clear um, because um, I, I keep hearing these these terms and I keep um, yeah do, doing my best to um, bring clarity to this discussion. Um, I personally am quite um, tired of hearing the word Tantra thrown around in relation to sexuality um, because it, it has no relation. It's a, a very Western, watered-down white new age uh, buzzwords tantra originally means systems or weaving together it can have a bunch of meanings but basically it refers to a system of practices philosophies um, and 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 ritual practices and um, originated around 3500 4000 years ago in india and and uh, tibet i'm not an expert on uh, on uh, tantra but i'm an avid learner and curious learner and this is what what i realized is that um originally it refers to a tradition that was contrary to the pre-existing tradition in asia at the time and largely in the world which was a tradition of in order to get closer to the divine you need to become an ascetic to remove yourself from the world in some way to become an ascetic the tantricas came and, and, and the, the idea was that, you know, there are the monks or the, the yogis or these people who are higher, usually uh, Brahma. So they are, they were like higher on the chain of the, the caste system in India. There was like a lot of kind of like class uh, thing associated with it as well. The tantrika came and said, class is not important. All of these things are completely arbitrary. God is what you are. Um, and anyone the goal of, of 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 this lifetime is to arrive at liberation using the experiences that you get in this body. 
So you're using your body, using your, you know, being in a relationship, having a, doing business in the world. All of these things can be used and utilized for your own liberation, for your own uh, transformation. And caste is not important. And, you know, there are no hierarchies and so on and so forth. A lot of really revolutionary um, kind of um, cultural ideas associated with um overall philosophy of non-duality, which means that everything is an ocean of, of, of pure consciousness um, and, and there is no real du- any, any duality that, that exists or that is seemingly existing in the world is, is an illusion. That is what the origins of, of Tantra or the Tantric tradition or specifically Shaivism Tantra, um, of course, it's much more complex than my oversimplified overview. There are a lot of lineages, a lot of uh, nuance within the culture, a lot of sects, a lot of different practices and traditions and followers and whatever. But this is what Tantra is. As you can imagine, there is very little to nothing to do with sexuality as a whole. There is some obscure kind of potential uh, potentiality for some kind of practices that involved sexual energy or sexuality maybe even something that has something to do with like a yearly festival in which they had this kind of orgy thing that was kind of like a, done in a spiritual manner or something like that it was not practiced uh, by everybody everywhere it was something that was particularly done with people who were initiated into something um, and more importantly, it has absolutely zero to do with everything that tantric teachers of tantric sexuality are teaching this day and age. Absolutely zero. And I think this is very important to, to mention because the word tantra and tantric sex constantly comes up and it's just like, it's just weird at this point. That being said, there is something that's called Neo-Tantra, which is how people refer to this new age movement of conscious sexuality, which brought about a lot of wonderful things. Like I said, a lot of beautiful, powerful things that this thing brought, such as removing shame out of sexuality, learning how to move sexual energy in the body, all kinds of ideas of how to use sexuality as a, as a practice of, of, of uh, liberation, of, of, of awakening, beautiful things bringing more intimacy, more awareness into sexuality. Fantastic. Um, that being said, I think some of the cons that I'm, or weaknesses that I'm recognizing or, or witnessing in, in these spaces is one is what we just spoke about, is like this attachment to some Hindu original traditions when there is absolutely no connection whatsoever. Um, that's quite a big red flag in my book. I don't know if you're drawing from a particular tradition, you are pro- propagating yourself as a tantric teacher and what you are teaching is new tantric uh, sexual intimacy. There is some, there is some problematic aspects to it. Um, a lot of, um, misguided, um, experiences can happen like teachers who are behaving sexually in ways that are and, you know, taking advantage of their uh, perceived sexual power if they don't have never been initiated into any true lineage, taking advantage of people's um, innocence and lack of, of knowledge in the space and, 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 you know, take advantage sexually with people around that. There are plenty of scandals in this space that I'm not going to even start getting into right now. Um, Beyond that, I think there are also a lot of pretty misogynistic and sexist ideas that have sunk into this environment. For example, this whole idea of feminine masculine energy that unfortunately, because these people 
speak in the world of spiritual lingo, people think that it comes from some original traditions, but in original tantric traditions, there is no uh, importance whatsoever. There is no such thing as feminine masculine energy. Usually these people say Shiva and Shakti, but no, Shiva was an androgynous being. There is no gender whatsoever. And so as most of the um, Hindu deities, um, and there is no mention of feminine masculine energy, definitely not in the way that is being propagated, which is usually just characteristics, like a group of arbitrary characteristics um, that are gender roles that people inherited from their culture and has nothing to do with what people actually are based on their, um, you know, sexual orientation or gender expression or even biological body. And so that's another thing that I see happening quite a lot and have quite dire effects um, on, our, on our culture, I feel. Um, like I, I've been in places or I've seen uh, workshops or places in which people do this like feminine masculine energy work and it just, the whole thing looks like just reinforcing pre-existing misogynistic, arbitrary, societally constructed gender roles of what men should be, what women should be, in which women should be this like flow of femininity and softness, blah, 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 and men are this holding space and being the pole of consciousness or some other nonsensical bullshit or something like that. Anyway, this is another uh, big thing that I see is quite um, alarming in this space. Um, and on top of that, of course, there is this whole, um, I call it the, the tantric fuckboy uh, mentality, which is this like men who go on this journey of ex expanding their sexuality, which in and of itself is a beautiful thing. But a lot of the times they use this as a weapon in a way to kind of overstep people's boundaries, to give this perception that I'm going to somehow heal you by having sex with you because I'm this tantric man, whatever. And so a lot of pretentiousness, a lot of ego um, associated with that. Um, so it's just some things that I observed in the space. I don't want to get too much into it because I can speak about it for a whole podcast episode. On the other side, um, people who want to expand their sexuality on the other side, usually people either go to this or to that, right? Like they go to the conscious uh, sexuality, tantric, whatever, or they go to like BDSM king community. On that community, honestly, I have uh, far less um, criticism to say. I think um, there are, of course, criticism to say about particular groups within or like particular individuals. There are also scandals and problematic behaviors everywhere. But I think in general, there is no lineage. There is no like uh, some kind of perceived spiritual power for anybody in the group. It's a very decentralized, democratized kind of self-emergent communities centered around different kings, different fetishes, different interests. Um, but something that I personally enjoyed a lot from being part of these communities is there is a very, very clear code of conduct, which is something that you don't find in like the, the more spiritually uh, woo-woo kind of sex, sexy people who go to tantric uh, workshops is that really Every workshops I've been to, every person I've studied from, every um, uh, every event I've been part of, there is always a lot of care and a lot of kind of clarity around communication, around proper conduct of safety, around sexual health, and and there is a lot of open, honest discussion about these things. Usually, people that are kind of like familiar 
in these spaces, when I get to connect with them, there is also usually a very early in the conversation, a, a discussion about sexual health, about desires, about boundaries. And I think that's a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. The only thing that I would say, and that is not a criticism about the space, it's just sometimes it can feel foreign to a lot of people. So they want to, they don't necessarily feel connected with all the props and the leather and the black stuff, or they don't feel necessarily part of the space, but they still want to improve their sexuality and invite some uh, power play or power dynamics or, or new ways to create eroticism in the relationship without the whole entire you know, being part of this thing, which doesn't feel necessarily aligned with a lot of people. So this is the only thing that that, that I would say on that. Um, and really, you touched it beautifully because I feel like it's something that I am trying to kind of do in my work is like having, you know, the good of all of these worlds and communicate, communicates ideas about sexuality and about, you know, intimacy in ways that anybody can relate to without buying into a new spiritual belief system or spiritual lingo talk about it in a way that people can have self-evident experiential uh, notion that this is true for them. And also talk about power dynamics and, and you know, like all the kinky BDSM stuff without talking about it in a kinky bdsm way necessarily. And so anybody can apply these playful, beautiful things in a way that is safe and constructive and powerful um, in their life. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate what you said. I think I, I do experience some of that with some of my clients around um i do talk about polarity in my work and we do use the words masculine and feminine and i do think there are some problematic elements to that um sometimes we'll also use alpha and omega just as as terms talking about you you know you spoke about non-duality and um and duality is also part of life, right? Duality, magnets, repelling and attracting. It's it's part of part of the dance. But sometimes I think it gets overemphasized. And I know that I was raised in this culture. And so I think I do have sort of that linear black and white thinking that does permeate myself. So I appreciate you calling that out. And I do think there's some work for me to do around the polarity conversation and all of that. Um, and it can be of deep service and it can put things in a kind of perspective that people hadn't thought of in the same way before of like, why does, why does attraction work in a certain way? And I'm not just talking about sexual attraction, but just generally, right. People who are breathing deeply and deeply in their bodies tend to calm a space and they tend to attract attention and they tend to polarize a room in a certain way that can deeply serve everyone who's there, whether that's a teacher or just someone, someone in a, in a space. So I feel like there's a lot of value and there's a lot of complexity to those conversations, which is part of deconstruction, right? It's part of unlearning things that we've learned, but keeping the value of some of the things that are still valuable. Um, and I know that we're starting to wrap up, but something I did want to just ask about and touch on is trauma. So sexual trauma or other kinds of trauma are a large part of the conversation, a large part of this space. And I'm sure that's something that you work on with your clients as well. And I'm curious if you can um, share a little bit about 
how that tends to arise. Um, and what I mean is what, so someone that has had trauma, that has a, a trauma background, as we say, what are some of the ways that that shows up in the space of sexuality? And then what are some sort of, um, do you have an inspiring story or two about clients of yours that have had that experience that are now in a different place? I can get into that. There's also something that is alive for me from something that you said before. And I think it's worth getting a little bit deeper into probably listeners that would also ask themselves about this whole feminine masculine thing, because I know that it's a, it's something that is alive for a lot of people. And from talking about this, I realized that for a lot of people, those are incredibly, for some reason, incredibly difficult to let go of kind of um, ideas. Um, and I want to touch it maybe a little bit uh, longer to get to get more clarity around it, if that's okay. So you mentioned like specific scenarios that you notice that there is some value in, in using this like feminine masculine thing. And what I would invite people to do is to go a little bit deeper than the feminine masculine stuff, which is oftentimes a very kind of binary and arbitrary and very subjective way of experiencing a certain situation. You brought in, you brought a particular example in which someone who portray a certain quality, right? You were referring to a certain quality, which is being present in your body, breathing deeply. That is just a human quality. It's a particular quality that you can embody regardless of your biological sex, regardless of your gender expression or sexual orientation. It's just something that you can embody. And so is true for every other quality that people, for some reason, associate with masculine or feminine. There is nothing inherently wrong with the words themselves. It's just that as we use them in our culture, they, at this point, have so much cultural, conceptual, arbitrary meanings attached and associated with them that it mostly renders them quite useless when it comes to an individual trying to better themselves or ask themselves, how can I experience more of so-and-so? So I would invite people, instead of saying, how can I be more in my masculine? How can I be more in my feminine? Whatever the fuck that means. Ask yourself, what do I want to experience? Right? So, for example, someone who wants to experience um, being taken, right? It's something, that, it's an experience a lot of people have, both men and women. Maybe for some whatever reason, whether it's cultural conditioning or whatever not, but maybe women have this a little bit more. In my experience, it's not necessarily the case. I think men and women kind of express very similarly. Actually, studies being done, a lot of a lot more men wants to experience sexual submission or a power dynamic um, than women, um, which is very, very interesting to... to was interesting for me to discover there is a friend of mine who is conducting these uh, surveys online. Her name is, um, I forgot the name of her blog. Maybe it's going to come up for me in a moment and I'm going to mention that. Um, but she conducted massive studies and that's what came up. Um, and it was very interesting for me to discover. I realized that, yeah, here again, I'm proven that there is nothing inherent in people based on their sexual orientation, expression, gender expression, orientation, and so on and so forth. So ask yourself, what quality do you want to experience? What am I missing here? Right? So you talked about polarity, for example. So yes, it makes sense if both people 
are trying to lead the interaction, they can find that the, the let's call it sexual polarity for the sake of this conversation is kind of like bumping against each other and it's a bit hard to navigate. So maybe there is less sexual spark there. All right, interesting. What do I want to experience more of? Let's say you feel um, distracted or anxious during sex. All right, I want to embody a certain sense of presence. It has nothing to do with feminine, masculine, all of this kind of stuff, like all this idea that like, yeah, now in our culture, women have, um, uh, they need to be more masculine in the workforce because focus and determination and ambition is a masculine thing. You see how arbitrary it, it is? Why is it, why is it a masculine thing? You know, it's just different human qualities, right? So yes, of course, if you take the energy that you have in the office of moving forward, being determined, you know, and you take it into the bedroom, depends on your partner's mood, it can be detrimental to your sex life. And then you ask yourself, what experiences do I want to have? What kind of mood do I want to be in? What kind of qualities do I want to embody? But it has nothing to do with your gender, with your body, with your sexual orientation. Um, and I think this freedom allows people to express themselves on a spectrum of human expression rather than a binary, predetermined, arbitrary perception of what they think they should be, what people told them they should be. And usually, because these things are so subjective, when someone teaches other people how to be in the masculine or how to be in the feminine, they basically teach their own subjective experience of what they, the qualities that they want to embody. And it's usually not going to necessarily be irrelevant for the people who are hearing that and oftentimes can be a detrimental piece of advice. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> Thank you for speaking to that. I I was particularly struck by um, a number of my male clients do have that experience of wanting to feel taken, wanting to feel that sense of of submission, healthy submission in the space of sexuality. And I do think that that some of them hold shame around that or feel yes. a certain kind of way. Oh, is it of... is it feminine? Should I even? Yeah. What does it mean right. about me? Like, am I, do I do I feel like that? But if you drop these narratives, then you can be whatever you want to be. There is a, there is an yes. aliveness that is permeating through you, wants to take you to these next levels in the games of your life, relationships, sex, work, whatever, and you're suppressing it because what? <laughs> you know, because it's not masculine. Like, what what does that mean? You know, it's just bullshit. Right. Or sometimes it's trauma, right? Sometimes there are places that we want to go or experiences that we want to have or ways that we want to feel or be that aren't available to us because of trauma in our system. So can you speak briefly to that before we wrap about, because it's such a common experience. I just always want to make sure it's included in the conversation. So many of our male clients are survivors of sexual trauma and many, many human beings of all bodies and shapes and sizes and everyone on the planet, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people have had this experience and it does get in the way. It can get in the way and it is resolvable. I just want to hear a little bit from you about your experience with that. Yeah. So I think in, there is a um, common misconception about the trauma because this word is being thrown around so much. Um, is that trauma is necessarily that something incredibly horrendous happened to you, you know, and that is trauma. But if you experience what you've experienced, which is yeah, difficult, challenging, painful experiences, 
no, that's not trauma enough, right? Like there's these like levels of trauma. And I think this is um, quite unhelpful for a lot of people. So instead of saying trauma or talking about trauma, I rather talk with people about this more embodied approach to their experience. And I look at the body as a direct, vibrant, unfolding expression of the evolutionary process, right? And when there is something, you always feel everything in your body, right? Before there is a concept of like, why am I feeling and what does it mean? It, first, there is a visceral somatic experience of what I'm experiencing. And that's true, not just in approach to trauma or traumatic experiences, but it's also true for navigating life in general. Listen to the, I'm, I'm even in my own life, I'm now experimenting with referring to my emotional experiences without even the labels of I'm feeling shame, anger, this, I'm just referring to the immediate <clears throat> raw sensation in my body and I'm allowing that to navigate me. And I think when it comes to, to trauma, um, spoken as someone who is not a, a trauma um, a therapist or, or, or an expert, but speaking from my own personal experience, a lot of times past experiences have in, ingrained certain stuckness in our nervous system, in our body, certain tensions around certain things, kinks that come up when we meet a certain circumstance that reminds our nervous system, you know, what happened before. So we relieve that experience in the form of some form of visceral somatic experience. It can be tension, it can be shortness of breath, it can be whatever. Um, usually our emotional experiences happen somewhere on the center of our body between our pelvis and the top of our head, which is most of our emotional experience. You feel some things in your gut, you feel some things in your heart, in your throat, in your, you know, in this area. So pay attention to these sensations and don't think about them as enemies that try to take away. Think about them as friends that try to keep you safe as allies, evolutionary allies that try to take you to the next level in the game of your life to unlock something for you to release something for you that more life can birth out of you um and when you approach it in that way if, if your first inclination is to listen to sit with what you're experiencing to take a deep breath to be with it for a moment to let it be there and then if and when that kind of emotional experience is taking you to is like a movement is happening out of you allow that movement to happen and um, something that i do a lot with people that i work with is turning these tension traumatic experiences into pleasure so by becoming aware of them and becoming present with them and slowly allowing them to move your hands or to move your body in a way that makes you feel good and then you realize that slowly you get turned on from these like you know, somewhat challenging experiences. Of course, this is not something that I do with someone who is currently going through a very, very difficult or traumatic experience that they're having. But when it comes to things that are repetitive, like the patterns in our life that come up, our own our sex, our own our love life, around money, um, it can be a wonderful thing to do to, you know, do this like pleasure meditation, like bringing up this challenging pattern, bringing up the challenging experience, feeling the, the, the somatic response and turning that slowly, like making love with it, turning it into pleasure in the body. There are a lot of other things that you can do, but the idea is to, at least my, my approach, what I'm trying to go more and more into is how can I approach it from the body, not from the intellectualized, 
you know, therapeutic talking about it, but more like from the body, how does it feel and where is it taking me? Yeah, that does feel like an advanced practice. And it reminds me of, of Aikido, the martial art where you take the energy that's coming at you and then you shift it into something else. So instead of approaching someone coming towards you with force, you take the energy and then you shift it into something else. It reminds me of that, that, that sense of allowing what's there and then working with it slowly. I really appreciated that word slow because in my experience, whenever it comes to anything really challenging or traumatic, we need to go very, very slowly, (laughs) but very slowly moving that into something that can feel good. And that that energy dynamic or that movement comes from the body, from your body, the person, the person having the experience that the movement that feels good comes from them, from their internal world and their internal body wisdom. That's something that I think is um, has been inspiring to me around resilience and witnessing many people in my life, um, essentially, um, have a different experience after trauma is that when we do put loving attention on it, when we do get help, when we do move in these spaces, we do improve. (laughs) And when I say improve, I mean, become more available for love to flow through us or for sexuality, mm. pleasure to th- flow through our bodies. Life. Yeah, there isn't that rigidity or that stuckness or that place that I can't go to, which is blocking me from things that I want, the intimacy or the connection or the, you know, we we want to have love, to give and receive love. And it's true that that we are love and there are certain kind of interruptions to that that we can work with and it does, it does work. So I just, I appreciated that. Um, that feels like a nuanced perspective around working with it slowly and taking something that feels really bad or, or crunchy and being with it and slowing down and then kind of shifting it into something that can feel really good. And then what does that do for our lives? Yep. So thank you for being here. I'd love to hear any last reflections that you have and then how people can find you. Um, thank you for having me. It was a great pleasure. If people want to find me, they can either go on my social media, just search Yuval Man. I'm usually one of one of the first, if not the first uh, uh, option that comes up or my website, yuvalman.com. And yeah, thank you for having me again. It's a beautiful conversation. Thank you.